Alright, let's stand to pray. All heavenly kings and confidence, the spirit of truth, our favor, our presence, and build us all things. Treasure, blessings, and give us life. Come to abide and suspend us from every impurity and save our souls of good life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alright, so if you have, if you're wondering what's going on in the altar right now, they're, uh, we, we're going to be painting it blue, and so they're preparing to do some little changes to prep for the area to go to be painted blue. Uh, so, we're going to be talking about, well, Terry is going to be leading us um, in patron saints, talking about patron saints. Uh, this will be more narrative uh, you ask questions, etc. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. So at the end, we can even open it up and you can ask questions because this will bring up some practical questions for yourself of like looking into a patron saint, uh, thinking about who you would like to ask to sponsor you in the church, uh, etc. So we can talk about some of those details at the end. Uh, but before I talk too much... I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Terry, so you yeah, can. Quick sure. Why are they painting that blue? I know that's Why are they blue. painting it blue? Yeah. Because the red is a color that just kills everything, uh, and so blue will make it brighter. Uh, and. I thought yeah. it was like a thing that you did every. Like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> this, is, this is not. This is pure. You're going to paint it for every liturgical season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like over and over and over. <laughs> that. See, th- that is. If you feel like, oh man, why did I ask that? Ask those kind of questions because you'll yeah. be able to discern. Like, is this just? It's an aesthetic, aesthetic thing. It's just to change. It. Do what? Yes, we change color. Like I will wear in two weeks. I'll have blue on. This will all. All of the coverings will be blue. So. It's just for looks. That's why the girl, little girl, last night when you were trying to oh, listen to the response of the Theotokos. She said the blue. So when she said blue mama, I actually misunderstood her. She was actually saying Boji mama because her family has a um, uh, Carpathian Russian or Slova- uh, Slovak background. So you, God is Bog. So Boji is how you talk about God. So they were talking about God mom, basically. Oh. Huh. That's what she was actually saying, not blue mama. But blue mama works fine because it also like she wears blue. I mean the color from yeah. the Tokos is blue. It sounds blue. like a character from a Tennessee Williams play. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully the color dark blue or light blue medium. Uh, I don't remember because I had a fever last week. <laughs> but it is a blue that will look nice. I think it's going to actually match the blue that's behind you. Perfect. Nice. Go ahead. Okay. My name is Terry Mattingly, and uh, I'm a layman here. I'm a journalist and an involuntarily retired professor. I still hope to end up with a place to teach a little bit in my retirement years. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist in Texas. My father was a Southern Baptist minister. And years ago, we worshipped in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, up in Big Ten country about an hour and a half south of Chicago, and we were in what people would call a moderate Baptist church. This was a Baptist church that did Advent and did sort of did Lent and had a much more extensive Holy Week schedule than your normal Baptist church. And the pastor of the church at every service, at the end of the service, would stand in the back and pronounce a blessing. And it was the same every week. And it was always, since we are surrounded about so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. Well, I knew from conversations with him, I knew who the cloud of witnesses were. And in a church that was completely spare of any Christian symbolism or imagery, he was talking about the saints. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, well... Folks, in an Orthodox sanctuary, they're a little bit easier to see. In fact, it's kind of hard to run from them. The cloud of witnesses is all around you. Um, A little bit more personal information. My own patron saint is St. Brendan of Ireland. Now, something you may not know, if you come into the church, 
is all of the saints of the ancient church and of the Western world up until the time of the schism between Catholicism and Orthodoxy. I'm sure that's something that's coming up in these classes in terms of history. Um, when, the, when the Eastern Church and the Western Church split over a lot of things, primarily the changing of the Nicene Creed by the Pope of Rome, all of the saints that precede the schism are all ours. And so part of what you're going to hear from me today was how I became intrigued with a particular set of saints just in my own life. And that were the saints of the Celtic world. And I'm jumping ahead in my outline, as I often do. A Orthodox priest who died just about a year ago had a great, was writing a book about orthodoxy in the West. And he had a tremendous phrase where he said, you need to understand that orthodoxy in the West, and he meant churches that were in communion with the East, the Celtic church. He said, they, they didn't die, they were murdered. And what happened to the church in England is a very interesting story that we don't have room for today. But suffice it to say, there's an entire world of Celtic saints that you might want to look into. Now, some people here at the church have asked me why, for the last year and a half, every Sunday I have worn this t-shirt to church. And it's because about four or five years ago, twice, we had St. Brendan Day festivals that we opened up to the entire town. Now, why did we choose St. Brendan? Well, we didn't do it because Jim Tilson Nah, his patron saint is St. Brendan as well. It's not because we twisted arms or anything like that. We did it because we were making a statement. Greeks have Greek festivals. Russians have Russian festivals. This church is about 90% or 80% convert. And we're living in a part of the country that its heritage, ethnically, is Irish and Scotch. In terms of the, the original people who moved to this area. And what we were trying to tell Oak Ridge is we're here too. The orthodoxy has a natural home right here. We can be just as much a part of this culture as Greeks, Russians, you know, Carpatho-Russians, you know, Romanians, etc., etc. And during COVID, during this incredible time of stress when we first began to be able to come back to church, like 20 at a time, and we were standing all apart, I started wearing this shirt as just a, a way of stay, saying to me, no matter what's going on right now, this is still St. Anne's. This is us. This is our worshiping community, and we're going to get through this. And we're going to be who we are. So that's why, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but some members of the church have asked me why I was doing it. That's why I've worn my St. Brendan shirt. Because this was the shirt we prepared for that festival. That's why it says event staff on the back. So that if people had questions, you know, people could ask what was going on. So that's just a, a little bit of walking into it. The question, why Brendan? Well, that's my question. What we're talking about here today is who are the saints you will encounter? Who will you become interested in? As my son likes to say, what saints will walk into your life, whether you wanted them to or not, or had no reason? So I'm actually going to tell you today about kind of my love affair with two different saints. You'll also, and I don't want you to be intimidated by this, when you hear Orthodox people talk about their patron saints, there are people who literally believe they've had visions, or they've had dreams, or they've had kind of miraculous interventions with saints. That's a part of how our church envisions living in a cloud of witnesses. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when the cloud shows itself sometime. 
Like I said, I grew up Baptist. And my first connection with the Celtic Church and Orthodoxy was the fact that both as an undergraduate and as a graduate student at Baylor University, the largest Southern Baptist University in the world, um, I took a ton of church history classes. I was fascinated with church history classes. And so the schism and the, some knowledge of the East is something that I got all the way back in college. And I became interested in that. And then my wife and I became Episcopalians in the early 80s, living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there was a very distinct moment in a catechumen class, much like this one, into, to get into this Episcopal church that we joined in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the priest was talking about the history of Anglicanism and its connection to the Celtic church and to the church of England before there was a church of England. And he quoted one of the great Anglo-Catholic Anglican leaders, Michael Ramsey, as saying, because of the history of the Celts being somewhat separate from Rome and having their own monastic system, which frankly was much more like the East. And we know, for example, that the Celts sang all of their music to eight tones. And we have, just like the Orthodox, and just like Gregorian chant. Now, we have no idea what those tones were. There are some people doing research in England that think they may have discovered some of the ancient Orthodox worship tones in music being sung, chanting the Psalms in some traditions in Scotland. So that's being, there are Orthodox bishops who are overseeing that process and thinking about it. Anyway, and once again, he quoted Michael Ramsey, this great archbishop, as saying, who, by the way, Father Stephen had met. There's a wonderful picture of Father Stephen at like age 25 or 26, standing with Michael Ramsey. And if you look close, Father Stephen is already wearing an Orthodox Byzantine cross at age like 25 or 26 Can I in ask, seminary. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah, Scotland and Ireland. How did they get there? Boats. Um, they believe a lot of it were some was monastic tradition. There are the, a bagpipe. I mean, this is a whole other lecture. I hope I die. But I want to answer your question. There's a reason the bagpipe has an Esan. An Esan. The drone tone. It's actually taken from Byzantine music. And we don't know exactly how that happened. But we do know that there were monks who came very early to the British Isles and set up monasteries. Were and they, I'm sorry, were they Russian? Like, were they Greek? Were they Russian? Like, oh, they would have been. Back during the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah, okay. we're talking Egyptian, Byzantine, Byzantium. So this is all way before the schism. Nobody would have said, I'm a Greek Orthodox Christian. They would have said, I'm a Christian. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. This is before okay. the breakup between the East and the West. Okay. But the Celts organized their whole church around monasteries, not around government-defined parishes the way Rome does. And so the Celtic church was very, very orthodox in its structures. And monasteries were very important. And one of the great monastic leaders was St. Brendan. Okay. Um, back very quickly to that quote from Michael Ramsey. Michael Ramsey said that the, the, mission, the purpose of Anglicanism was to return to communion with the East, not Rome, to the East and become Orthodoxy for the West. Well, that never happened. That whole wing of Anglicanism is, has been trodden underfoot now for several decades and stuff. But it was an interesting vision, and I heard that in the early 80s, and that fascinated me. And I started reading about the Celts even more at that stage in my life. So Henry VIII wanted to return to the East then? Like no, no, no. Or, or Elizabeth? Or, or, uh, no, no, before that. James, Charles? <laughs> no. Um, I was thinking this, took, this is like way, way, way before that. Yeah. 
and we don't have time for a history to class today about the Norman invasion and the Vikings coming down and crushing them. You don't know that. that. We could get in. That's a whole other subject that isn't relevant to today. I just want you to know that I kept reading about these Celtic guys, these Celtic people. Well, flash forward another decade, and I'm in Johnson City, Tennessee. And the Episcopal Church is falling apart all around me. And my wife and I are trying to decide what in the world are we going to do? Well, I was interested in orthodoxy. And at that stage of life, you would call the Greek Orthodox parish and they wouldn't even talk to us because we didn't speak Greek. And because of my work as a reporter, I had already come into contact with some of the people who were called the Evangelical Orthodox. this thousands of people who converted to Orthodoxy all at the same time. And one of them was my late um, spiritual father, Gordon Walker of Nashville, who I found out the other day while we were in uh, Miami that there is a movement within Orthodoxy to suggest Father Gordon for, to be canonized. And he would literally be St. Gordon of Franklin. And we'll come back to him briefly in a second. We ended up starting an Antiochian mission in Johnson City, Tennessee. And I mean, we had to start a church in order to join it. I mean, it was all converts, all at once. We had two actual Orthodox Christians. in our. Who could, we went for a year where there were two people who could receive communion. You know, you do the entire divine liturgy, and two people would receive communion. Now, a brief side story. We were meeting in a weird, funky doctor's office outside of Johnson City, and an Episcopal priest drove by on the way to see his parents and saw a sign that said Orthodox Mission and said, what? What the heck? And that was Jim Tilson. So, I mean, there, so there's some fascinating connections. And I already knew Father Stephen and Mother Beth you know, from previous stories I had written about things in, in the Episcopal Church. So many intertwined stories here. But back to Brendan. In the midst of this chaos in my family's religious life, where we had left the Episcopal Church, and we had nowhere, no idea where we were going to go, I write a nationally syndicated newspaper column. I've been writing it for 32 years and people send me stuff all the time. They send me books they want me to review. They send tickets to theater stuff and all that. Um, and one day, a couple of CDs showed up from a band from, from Ireland called Iona. Very interesting Celtic folk rock band. Kind of like... Celtic music meets Led Zeppelin, if you could imagine such a thing. And one of the albums was called Beyond These Shores. And the entire album was the life and story of St. Brendan of Ireland. How he and a group of monks became what the, the Celts called white martyrs. And white martyrs were monks who got in boats and basically let the wind blow them wherever God wanted them to go. Well, in this case, we know Brendan and his monks had done some homework and had done some research, and there is historical evidence they made it to North America. We're talking 5th century. There's a camp in Connecticut, remnants of a camp where there are Celtic symbols and ruins. And folks, you can't fake writing in a language that nobody knows how to translate. These ruins and things were discovered before anybody knew how to translate them. Now they know how to translate them. And they can know that they're, they're scriptural references. And there's a cave with a window in it that is, they angled the window so that it lights up an icon shelf at Pasca. And in West, West Virginia, High up in the mountains, on a cliff, there is Celtic writing, including a boat. You always see St. Brendan holding a boat. 
And there's a Christmas message written in ancient. Of uh, what's the what's the name of the language? Okay, no, um, <laughs> it'll it'll pop back into my head here in a second. But it's Ogum. Thank you. Uh, written in, in Ogum, which is an, an early form of Celtic writing. Nobody knew how to break the Ogum code until the late 19th century, early 20th. So once again, you can't fake writing in a language that nobody knows how to translate. And it's a Christmas card. Upon this Christmas morning, we sing praise to Mary, you know, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's written in Ogum on this cliff in Western, West Virginia. Um, and it's angled to where the sunrise lights it up approximately at Christmas. That cliff gets lit up. There's this, you can read about these things online. Can you go there? Is it a place I don't know if you can hike up there or not. Oh. The Petrocliff, the Petrocliff of West Virginia, it's called. But I was fascinated. This just, the whole idea of Orthodox era Christianity coming to America and trying to set up and failing, but trying. Folks, there's Ogum in Colorado. We don't know how far these early monks made it, but well, we know they made it. What is Ogum? Ogum is an ancient Celtic language. And like I said, nobody learned how to break that language until... Is this language still used by... What? Is this language still available for people now? Are you using it somewhere in the world? No, that, no it's, a, it's, it's, it's a dead language. Nobody speaks Ogum. In fact, very few people in Ireland and Scotland speak, you know, they're the, the Gaelic. Okay. And the Celtic language, sorry, the Celtic, the Celtic language still. Yeah, so we're, we're almost to the point where I want to turn this back over to you. Our whole family, as we were trying to get somebody in Orthodoxy to work with us, and then Father Gordon began coming over and staying at our house, and we began staying at his house in Franklin. It all got mixed in with this growing fascination with the Catholic saints. For my wife, it was St. Hilda of Whitby who tried very hard to bring peace between the churches of the East and West. My daughter, is a marine biologist, became fascinated with St. Brigid, the, you know, the great saint of, of Ireland, St. Brigid. He's right up there with St. Patrick, you know, in terms of famous saints, but a saint very much identified with nature and wildlife and kind of, in many ways, the female St. Francis of the Celts. My son, of course, being first grade, there's a saint there with a sword and there's a dragon. I'm going with St. George. You know, just, what kid, you know, what six, what six-year-old doesn't want a saint with a sword, you know, killing a dragon? I mean, that's, that's kind of the ultimate little boy saint. And we made our way into orthodoxy. And I would say that I had lived a life haunted by the Celtic Church since college. And then this one saint showed up in a rock album with lots of liner notes, and I began reading, and I began reading that you know, they really could have made it, and I just became fascinated with it. But here's the key, and this is what I want to tell y'all. What was important to me was the idea of orthodoxy trying to make it to America. And that the first mass in America was a divine liturgy. Before Columbus, before whatever, centuries before that, we have people writing Bible verses on rocks, you know, and symbols of the, the four apostles. Who wrote these? These Celtic monks. Was this before the schism? Yeah, no, this is well before the schism. So way that, before the schism. So then it wasn't orthodoxy. That made but, that's, but see, you see, I know, but for me, it was in communion with orthodoxy. It was a part, and because of the Celtic's monastic traditions, this was something that was kind of distinctly, because like everyone, I was also having to consider the Roman Catholic Church, right? Where am I taking my family? What church am I going to join? And I kept feeling called to orthodoxy. 
And out of that confusion and prayer and reaching out to wise people, I had already made friends with Father Gregory Matthews Green and his wife, the writer Frederica Matthews Green. We were already in an online chat room group together. I was beginning to make friends. We already knew Father Stephen and Mother Beth. I spoke at St. Stephen Episcopal Church in like 1994. I came down and did a weekend retreat there, and I already knew them. The pieces began to come together. But what I want to tell you is I don't know what your questions are. I don't know what the elements of your search is. But what I'm telling you is that out of these personal concerns and events of your life and your own loves and dreams, a saint or multiple saints may emerge. And you can do that just by reading about the saints. You could pick a part of Gosh, the multitude of traditions within orthodoxy. Let me give you some other ideas. Um, there are Most people don't realize that there are married saints. You have missionary saints. You have the new martyrs of Russia. You have saints of the Eastern world, you know, of, of the Byzantine church of Jerusalem and Antioch. And the missionary saints of the... Egyptian deserts. I don't know what interests you. And I don't know what your yearnings are. But this is something that you can discuss among yourself. You can talk to other members of the parish, people who might become your sponsors. Of course, talk to Father Daniel, talk to Father Stephen, Deacon Raphael. Of course, talk to people who are already in the church. But what I'm telling you is that your patron saint will become a special member of your cloud of witnesses. Someone that you identify with. Someone who you uniquely want to befriend. Now, one other thing before I close my second part of this. Here is St. Brendan. He's always shown with a boat and a paddle, and his name is St. Brendan the Navigator. And whether he made it or whether his monks made it, they went all over the place. I mean, there, there are evidence of Celtic missionary trips into some wild places. There's an island named for him down off the coast of Africa. This is St. Brendan the Navigator. He started from England, he said. Ireland. Ireland. Very much Ireland. He is one of the, the big pantheon of saints. Well, here's another story about a saint. About a, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I was a part of a tour that went through parts of Greece. And while visiting a monastic level icon shop in Athens, I found this icon. And this is St. Joseph the Betrothed. And I was fascinated by this icon. Because this is like the only icon in all of Eastern Christianity where someone other than Mary is holding the Christ child. And this also doesn't look like the young Joseph you run into in... Roman Catholic stories. Um, St. Joseph the Worker. This is St. Joseph the Betrothed. This is, and this is how the ancient stories portrayed him as the older man you know, who took Mary in and helped keep her safe. Well, I bought this icon and brought it back to me and just kind of hung it among our icons. And then several things happened. Yes, sir? My question, which I want to understand, I thought, how do you say, if I have a picture, I cannot say it is icon. Is that right? Right. But the icon has a certain tradition to make it icon. Yes. What it is? 
it's just it's orthodoxy. No. It comes out of the background of orthodoxy and especially out of monasticism. For my information, that any icon here has to be blessed in a certain way by the Pope and has to be chrismated yep. and to be blessed by the uh, holy oil. Holy yes, yes. So yep. that you can call it an icon. Right. If this, what you're holding, have the same thing as gone through all this tradition? Yes, yes. This came from a monastic shop. So this was linked to a linked to a monastery. I brought it back to our church in Baltimore, where it was on the altar for a month, and then it was blessed, and then came home. All the icons, yeah, all the icons in our icon corner at our home have all been blessed by priests and have all spent some amount of time in the Antiochian tradition. It's a month, it's a month or even two months that they'll set your icon on the altar or to the side of the altar. Just, just for a point of clarification, there is all sorts of little traditions about. Yes. There's even traditions about because it's been set aside and made into an icon, mm -hmm. you don't need to bless it because it's already because it's yeah. an icon. It's already fine. So there's a lot of variety oh, of practices around it. That's, that's a whole additional class, really. <laughs> on, uh, so an, an iconographer will pray and fast before he or she. Right, an icon, and so it's, 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 well, a, it's a whole one. Yes, that's, that's true. Well, that's, that's make an icon an icon. Well, several other things I want to mention about this. This was just another icon in our icon corner mm -hmm. for a while. And then some things started happening all at once. We, they decided at our church in Linthicum, Maryland, to have an iconographer come in and cover the walls with icons. And he did it in a unique style that was, it was kind of like a simplified Byzantine. Very beautiful. And some people said parts of it doesn't look as strange to Americans as possible. If you're interested in this, we can find you pictures of this online. Well, this the is men's... This year-old Alexander's godfather. Yeah, the <laughs> men's group in our parish had taken St. Joseph as their patron. St. Nina, the great missionary St. St. Nina of Georgia, uh, was the woman's group. And there's a lot of stories about how that came up past in this parish. Hang on, let me finish this. Okay. So there was going to be a full figure icon mm -hmm. of St. Joseph beside the deacon door on the right side of the iconostasis. Well, Deborah and I sponsored that icon. How was sponsored? We paid for it. Oh. We donated money to pay for it. And I gave this icon to the iconographer. Hmm. Not, not so much as a guide, but just for possible inspiration. And he put it in his collection as he was doing this mass, the entire church in icons. In that parish, there were at least five of us for whom Father Gordon Walker of Franklin was our godfather. And as the icon began to, as we put it, come out of the wall, you know, from the sketch and then the different layers and then the paint would start to go up. And suddenly we walked in one day and it happened to be, I'm sorry, I'm going to see if I can get through this without crying. It happened in the same month that we found out that Father Gordon had cancer. And the same month that I became a grandfather. It all happened at once. And as the... Let me show you... Terry, I think you missed an important part. The icon started looking like... That's what I missed. Okay. <laughs> this is Father Gordon. Now this photo, which I just love. This is him just in the middle of a divine liturgy, just lost. You know, just lost in the moment, lost in the beauty of it. And his hair, by the time he died, was just totally white. As the icon came out of the wall, the members of that parish who were pay who he was our um, spiritual father, his father Gordon. I have it's, if you visit our house, you'll see a copy of it in the living room. We all just gasped. 
and went to the iconographer and said, did you intentionally portray Father Gordon as St. Joseph? And he said, Father Gordon who? He had never heard of Father Gordon, had never met him. It just happened. And the icon looks strikingly like Father Gordon, more even more than this does. And as I became a grandfather, St. Joseph the betrothed walked into my life. And with Father Stephen's help, I prepared a very short prayer that's in my litany. O Holy Joseph, thou whose arms protected our Savior and the Holy Theotokos, pray for my family. All of my family. And then I go into the, a list of my family. And, um, I didn't know that was going to happen. I couldn't have planned that. And all I'm telling you is that a part of our tradition is they love us. And there will be saints who kind of just come after you at some points. Final point. How many of you have heard, mainly in the Catholic Church, but you've heard the language that we pray to the saints? Now, frankly, newspaper reporters have no idea what that's about. And make it say, and you will read in newspaper accounts over and over, so-and-so prayed to this saint, and the saint healed them. Well, listen to our prayers. The saint takes part in the healing by praying with us. So if you're from a Protestant tradition, if this upsets you, this language, think of this. You're asking your saints to pray with you. And for them, it's a local call. They are right there in the body of Christ to pray with us in the cloud of witnesses. So that's who a patron saint is. It's someone that out of your heart and your interest in your story, you've gone looking for them and they kind of eventually come looking for you. Thank you. Your question. I've always, I've always thought of what to say. And when I'm talking to one of the saints, I've been saying, pray for me. Is that okay? Sure, of course. Of course you ask your saints to pray for you. Um, I'm ill right now, and I'm asking... Jesus, I'm asking. Jesus Christ is the only one that I ask for his mercy. Well, they're asking... They're praying with you to God and to Christ. Um, and there are saints who become identified with certain types of crises in your life. And you, you'll just hear someone say... I don't know, but there's just something about... This saint loves people who are in this crisis. I mean, who's the patron saint for those with cancer? There's a lot of different... St. Nectarius is... Yeah. Um, those who are having trouble with like childbearing, there's Joachim and Anna, our patron. Yeah. You just go through, if you've lost something, uh, St. Fenorius... You just go down the list. There's all sorts of saints for. But see, this is where for cancer too. This is where I can't say where you are in your story, and I can't say what your interests are, and what parts of this journey to orthodoxy have, as I put it, haunted you. I'm, that's not that's not for me to say. All I can tell you is just kind of how this worked in my life. And especially at the end, this incredibly unique constant connection between this remarkable priest running around America starting missions, including in Tennessee, 
ended up connecting to an icon on a wall in a church in Baltimore. Hmm. I had a, and I just explain he's, this. He's, he's an amazing uh, priest also, and I, 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 read, I read his book that Terry told me about, yeah. and it, it, it smacked me right in the chest because he was Southern Baptist just like I was, and like grew up with the same love of scripture and, and, um, and just, it, it, it's, it, it's like he was speaking directly to me um, and, you know, j- just to emphasize one thing Terry was saying is, you know, when, when we're in a hard time, if somebody in the family is sick, you're going to ask other Christian brothers and sisters to pray for you. So would you please pray for me? It's the same thing when you're asking a priest, asking, exactly. asking, asking a saint to pray. Like, please join your prayers with mine. Please pray for my daughter. Please pray for my wife. If your child is stricken and you run to the emergency room and they take your child from you, put him or her on a gurney and roll them through the doors of the emergency room, what do you do? Well, you start praying, right? But you also, you call Father Daniel, you call your family, and you call people that you know in your life have been spiritually strong, and you say, start praying. Well, there is no reason that you don't ask saints to pray with you. In that moment, your patron, your guardian angel, that we, you, know, you, the, you, you ask them to pray with you and for you and for your family at that moment. If I can give you one Father Gordon story. When Father Gordon died with the permission of my editors, I wrote a column about it. Not the sort of thing I would normally write a column about. There was a wonderful moment. Father Gordon was preaching at our church uh, in Linthicum outside of Baltimore. And he was telling this funny story about when he was a Southern Baptist evangelist. And he was preaching in a sm- small town, in, I believe it was in Alabama. And he said, you know, in most Southern towns, there's a notorious sinner who likes to visit revivals and over and over and over walks the aisle and cries and tries to get his right, you know, but just can't struggles with it. He said, well, this man came down and threw himself at my feet and said, you know, brother, I've done broken all the Ten Commandments except one. And I didn't break that one because the guy I shot didn't die. <laughs> you know, and Father, and of course, we all just roared in laughter. And Father Gordon had this incredibly southern voice. I mean, you could pour his voice over pancakes. It was, it was that sweet. And then he paused. And here he is standing now, an archpriest in the Antiochian Archdiocese in his gold robes. And from that anecdote, he pivoted and pointed to the icon of Christ. And said, you know, God knows some of us need to go to confession more than others. But he's there. And he's waiting. And then the phrase I'll always remember, he says, just keep walking toward the altar. Whatever happens, know that God wants to hear your problems. And the saints want to hear And just Keep walking toward the altar. These things just happen to us, folks. And I better shut up, because we are like 10 minutes from when I know y'all are supposed to get out. So what questions do you have? Another question. It's, uh, okay, some of us know, or some of us know the saints, and they can pick a saint and live with him and so on. But there is a book or something to show all these saints. Mm, no, there's just hundreds of books. Okay. And this so is where... Just if you give us an example. So I can send out an email that I can link to. Yes, so OCA.org, the Orthodox Church in America, if you go on it for today, they have the 33 Martyrs of Militini and all the other commemorations. They're all, and it has the lives of them. That's, that's, the, that's probably the easiest source to go to. And you can even search for, you know, you want to look up the name Elizabeth. Uh, you can put in Elizabeth and you can find all the Elizabeths. Uh, there are other books. There's what we call the Synoxarian, which are the books for the months that have every day. And there's, I can send you the, if you've got, I don't know, 400 bucks, just kind of burning a hole in your pocket, you can get a really nice set. I know, I, know, I, I have the, the Arabic Synoxarian. There you the go. Arabic Synoxarian. So, the, but I need something for her to... Just OCA.org, you can look it up. So there are also a, another form. This is a little bit lower price point. 
the prologue of Ohrid. This was edited and compiled by St. Nikolai uh, in the past hundred years. This is a shortened form of the Synoxarian that has like a little homily in it. It has some prayers in it, some things to contemplate for the daily readings, and it also has uh, verses in commemoration of the saints, etc. So uh, these are all these are some Greek words. These are some big. So I'll send out a link. Send out that yeah. would be Greek. The, what, my ba- when you're looking for a patron saint, uh, some of us have experiences. Some of us don't. Some of us were given at our birth. I was named Daniel at birth. I was named for Daniel the prophet. When I became Orthodox, I don't really know why, but I was told I couldn't take an Old Testament name, which I don't understand that at all. But you can take, if you were named for a prophet of the Old Testament or for somebody in the Old Testament, that might just be you're saying so if you have the name elizabeth there's a lot of elizabeths you could choose one of the look at that would be my first advice look for a name there's a squad of elizabeths right if you have like but if you're a terry or a jim yeah you're gonna have to look james 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 could have worked you can you're gonna maybe have to look outside right (laughs) uh jim i was gonna say um my first wife when well Okay, I'll thumbnail sketch, but I first learned about St. Brendan, the same album that Terry cited. I found in a clearance bin at a Christian bookstore beyond the shores and got it for five ninety nine or something like that. And uh, St. Brendan just Is really... Hastings? Uh, pardon? You said a Christian bookstore. Oh, I don't remember which one. I think it was like an independent, somewhere up in Virginia. But um, so when I came to Orthodoxy, the reason I chose St. Brendan was he set out sailing for the west, just knowing God had said he would bring him to the land of the saints, and not knowing what was on the other side. And I knew about orthodoxy from church history and theology, but had, I think I'd been to one orthodox service in my life when it came time to decide it's time to leave where we are and go to orthodoxy. So it was St. Brendan sailing off, just knowing God said go. go. My wife, uh, my first wife, Melinda, When I raised this to her, her immediate reaction, God bless her, was, you know, I don't know anything about this. I didn't even go through seminary with you because we didn't get married until after I graduated. But she said, I believe that you've heard from the Lord. I've watched you pray and struggle with this. You need to be obedient. And I'm your wife. I need to go where you're going. And so when we were chrismated, Melinda was chrismated Sarah for the wife of Abraham for the exact same reason. All she knew was Abraham came home and said, God said, pick up and move. And she was faithful and was with him. And this large icon that we have of the hospitality of Abraham and Sarah, <clears throat> pardon me, was given as a gift to St. Anne's 20 years ago by some of my seminary classmates uh, the year after Melinda died. Mm-hmm. So um, just pointing out Sarah is also... A perfectly wonderful Old so, so I I named some things you might be thinking about. I I'm intrigued with the married saints. I think that's a, this you know the saints, the martyrs of all the different eras, mm-hmm. healing, <coughs> saints connected with healing, saints connected with missionary work, saints connected with nature. My daughter's fascination with the natural world leads her to Saint Brigid. There are of course others. But the thing is. We're asked to pick a patron saint, a saint. Yes, right. But I have like four or five that all seem equally Amen. appealing to me. So you're going to have to choose one, and you can still pray to all of them. It would have to be Saint Basil. He's yeah. the oldest and the most important. Just one. Well, that's a that's a question to discuss with your priest and make so a decision. I, I, so I like Pisces. I was baptized Maximus. I. Yes, Maximus. So I, so my baptism. So I still ask for the prayers of Maximus the Confessor. Yeah. And that was when I was ordained to the diaconate. They give you a new name, and so I said, uh, asked because the bishop can name you what they want to name you, <laughs> if they so choose. Uh, actually, we were joking with talking with the bishop the other day. And somebody was up for being ordained the priesthood, and all the priests were like throwing out all the craziest names they could think of, so that he could, yeah, Saint Barnabas or yeah, some. Archbishop Demetri refused to have a Father Elmas. 
<laughs> Father Elvis, right. Yes. <laughs> you, you, so you can, so I went, I just asked to go back to my name because I was named for the prophet when I was born. So I just went back to Daniel. Um, that's, I still pray to Maximus. Maximus has shown up in my life through his relics at three pivotal places, right before uh, in a monastery in England, right before proposing to Chelsea. Uh, then the next time was when, oh, am I forgetting one? No, I said three times, two times. The next time was when I was on a trip uh, to a funeral of a very good friend of mine, uh, a young mm. priest who had died in a car accident. And that was uh, the week before I'd been talking about going to seminary. So it was on that trip, venerating the relics of St. Maximus, that I was like, okay, and rode with a priest, and so we talked the whole time, that I decided to go to seminary. So Maximus is still someone very dear to my heart, even though I don't, nobody calls me Father Maximus, <laughs> uh, because I was ordained with the name Daniel. But the, the saints come in and uh, to your life, without St. Silouan, I wouldn't have become Orthodox. There, there are many, you can become familiar with old, Older saints, the martyrs from the third, fourth century. There are saints, you know, middle of Russia. It's hard to say their name from the 16th century where they're from that people choose. Uh, and then there's ones who you have photographs of, and then you can see. Like so, for example, my Joseph. His he's named for Joseph of Optina, uh, a monastery in Russia, and we have pictures of Joseph. So there is all, and you can, and there's all sorts of books available, and if you are looking or if you would like to know about certain modern saints, I can give you a list of modern saints uh, to look at, men and women. I, Some of the older I, saints, though, it's hard to get uh, exactly the things they said, because, for example, St. Basil, I'm attracted to him because he said, oh Lord, remember, basically he said, remember that the animals are given the earth as home with us. Have you ever been able to find that? Well, I found it on the internet, unfortunately. So, so here's it's the thing about the internet. Questions. You know what Lincoln says about the internet, right? <laughs> no. Abraham Lincoln, you don't know what he says about the internet? You can't believe everything you hear. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things get attributed to saints. Or yeah. a lot of things that you'll even, this is going to be, I, I probably started off this, uh, these series of classes. You can, write all, you can read almost anything on the internet that says all sorts of things. That doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Do what? If there's somebody like St. Basil the Great, you can find a, an edition of his life, but I got a shelf full of Basil over there. So you'll probably find more if you actually go back to the text. Are there any other specific questions about patron saints? Another thing, as you are reading and looking into this, there's now even uh, one YouTube channel called Trisagian Films has incredible films, uh, uh, stories about the lives of the saints that are very well done. Up to like modern day saints who died in the past, you know, a few decades, Saint Paisius, Saint Porphyrios, uh, etc. Uh, you can find them uh, on there. You can also. Um, Does it include Old Testament saints? I don't know if Josagian Films does, has Old Testament saints on there or not. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a whole other host of, of Celtic saints. There's a, so all of this uh, is also then thinking. Sorry about a, a sponsor, as you're thinking about a patron saint, uh, a sponsor, uh, someone who is of uh, your sex, male or female, if, uh, who can sponsor basically vouch for you, become a kind of somebody, that, a kind of a go-to person in the faith that you can ask questions to, but also somebody who will uh, commits to praying for you. Uh, so... Some of us have really strong relationship with godparents over the years, and sometimes it was wax and wane, and it's fine. It's kind of like family, <laughs> right? Okay, but you, you, we still, as a tradition of the church, to to find someone to sponsor uh, who can vouch for you uh, to bring you into the church. So those are some to dos in the next. The other thing in the next, because we're looking at you know around nativity or theophany. Uh, for some of you to be able to be received into the church, either by baptism or chrismation. So wh whoever has been here in the catechumenate for the past few months, 
uh, is to shoot me an email, even if you've just begun the catechumenate, so we can sit down and talk about where things are at uh, and talk about times uh, being able to bring you uh, into the church. Okay, so that's those are three to-dos. I can make a final remark. I think it's also fascinating as you enter the church. You might want to read up on the process in orthodoxy of how men and women become saints. It's not legalistic and kind of research-oriented the way Rome does. It's, it's much more organic. And right now we have some very interesting... What? It's, 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 it's further polarizing communities to say the way Rome does. It's some people, some Christians, some Protestants. You can't make Rome statements have, so like that. Rome does have a more legal Much, way of making yeah. saints. No, Rome's got a specific process. Yeah. No, there's not, there's no, there's With, no specific process. You have Dominicans, Franciscans, you have You can say the same thing about the Orthodox. Daniel, you need to listen to the point about what the Orthodox Church does. Well, let's just not polarize each other by saying the way Rome does. Well, That's I'm true. sorry, I've covered it for decades and read books on the process, the legal process, and the counter-arguments and X number of miracles and all that. It's not my, it's not my in, intention to challenge your expertise. I'm sorry, please continue. In the context of Orthodoxy right now, I think it's fascinating to watch a couple that I have my eye on, one because of my children who've moved to Wichita, Kansas. The, the process that people are going through where people there have just for years have venerated an amazing priest who was just a horseback riding priest who died in the Spanish flu epidemic. And he, he's founded churches from the Dakotas to Colorado to Oklahoma to St. Louis. That was the area he rode. Uh, Saint, and, and the Yanni, his last name, I think it's Joseph Yanni. Not Joseph. No, it's not Joseph. Um, um, Nikolai. Nikolai. Nikolai Yanni. Another, another that really intrigues me, and especially in our church here, a man I actually met, um, the Romanian priest, uh, Daniel Calci, George Calci. George. George Calci. Or for the Roman Rome. Who was spent most of his life imprisoned by the communists, was horribly tortured. And in our church, we, and in, in all the church tradition, would be called a trophy bearer with scars from years and years of torture. And he became, late in his life, a priest in Northern Virginia in an OCA parish. And all of Romania is just hailing for this man to be called a priest. Well, it's turned out this, this gets into another wild thing. His body is incorrupt. His body has not corrupted. And the question now is whether his body will be taken back to Romania to be buried. Is that true? And, Yes, I've seen yeah. corrupt saints like, in Kiev. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's actually, yeah. Um, like undisputedly true? Like well, I mean, they don't look like you saw them a week ago, but they their body has not corrupted and gone away. I mean, can they like preserved somehow to look like that? No. no. It depends on which ones. Some are, some aren't. Some are claimed to be incorrupt that actually are decaying, and others I've not seen. It just depends on which one in particular. Well, all I'm saying is this is an intriguing man. The communist era is something that old people like me actually kind of live through the, you know, the Cold War and all of that. And getting to meet this great, great, great priest. He came and spoke for a whole weekend at Holy Cross. And when he died, he left his confession stole to Father Gregory, the priest of, of our parish. Do you know if Father Gregory brought the stole with him? I think, at the request of the bishop, I think he left it. And many of Father George's spiritual children have now been given permission by the bishop to venerate that stole. And it sits in the relic corner at Holy Cross in Baltimore. And I have no doubt whatsoever that Romania is going to claim this man as a saint, as a martyr, as a living martyr, a trophy bearer saint. I think, so I think some of you might enjoy, like you couldn't take Father George Calcio as a patron saint right now because he hasn't been canonized. But I think it would help you to get to hear that this is not just something in the past. I mean, this is something going on around us.
in some cases, and I just find that inspiring. There have been conversations about Archbishop Dimitri. Archbishop Dimitri yeah. of Dallas. Yeah, I'm, he was I'm, very, apparently, uh, was it Metropolitan Philip, I think, who commented as much chicory coffee as uh, Archbishop Dimitri drank that he would, of course, be incorrupt. But when... when <laughs> so full of coffee. So full of chicory and, and so on. But uh, he liked it strong. But five years, I think it's five years, five years after his burial, in Dallas, unembalmed, and they in were Texas to, heat and soil and red clay. Transfer his his body to a chapel at the cathedral, and when they opened up the the sarcophagus, they found the vestments had rotted and fallen apart. But Archbishop Dimitri, yes, he was dried out and desiccated, but his skin was still intact. He was still there, and now that's not an automatic. Oh, this must be a saint. In fact. Many times, yes. uh, when a body is discovered incorrupt, there will be prayers of exorcism that are said to just deal with, is this maybe something demonic to try to, to tempt us or derail us? Is, you know, we need to establish, is this of God? Because just because a miracle is, has happened doesn't necessarily mean that it's God. But there's, um, I, would not, I would not be surprised to see Archbishop Dimitri glorified as a saint yeah. in our lifetime. I'm including him. I'm, I'm asking him to pray with us when we pray for our own parish yeah. and for the for our church. Yeah, Archbishop Dimitri, just, he just really, really loved Jesus. Mm -hmm. He wrote Baptist. He knew the Bible inside and out. He's a languages expert. can speak language. With General uh, MacArthur's translator, into Japanese he wrote, he, he in the, right Japanese after World War II. To Spanish, which is what the one that the, uh, the Orthodox Church of Mexico uses. But he wouldn't fly from place to place. He had a car. He drove from Dallas to Miami. Miami, and, and everywhere he found two ladies and a cat, he would stop and talk about Jesus. And that's why there are all these parishes that are in the South that he personally started. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear how you become an Orthodox saint. <laughs> a bishop. I, I mean, I, 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 Here's I the way it was. Everything that you said, but I'm still waiting for. A, so eventually, 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 the bishops. My question, if I may, the, about when is the decision made? Who and who makes the decision? That's what I want to know. Basically, it's the bishops of a given church. I mean, like Saint Raphael. Is this the weekend of Saint so, Raphael? Um, yes, St. Raphael of Brooklyn, since the Antiochian church here doesn't have autocephaly, the OCA, and also he had been in Russia for a period so of time. Let me, yeah. There's local veneration. That veneration gets to a point. The synod basically will bless a few bishops to look into it to assess that there are, because there there is a situation uh, of a, a priest or a bishop in Canada, for example, that there is a lot of local veneration for, but when they looked into it, there was a few question marks about the life, that there might have been something not so great. So that got derailed. But when, that doesn't mean there's not local veneration, but what happens is basically the synod has to say, okay, we recognize the veneration and the sanctity of this particular individual. And then at a vigil service, they're, they're basically the canonization happens during a vigil service yeah. where they are glorified and the Traparian is first, the, the icon is brought out and the Traparian is first sung for them. That is when they are canonized. Okay, so that, that, that's the synod of the Orthodox Christian Church. Whatever, which, yeah. whatever Orthodox Church does it. Whatever Orthodox Church, whatever Orthodox Church it is. So there is no requirement, for example, that there be a certain number of miracles. No, no. There is no prosecutor. No. Or, any, or anything like that. Nope. Okay, if, if, if I, just a couple of quick follow-ups. My next question is, okay, if the OCA recognize, let's say the OCA recognized Bishop Dimitri as, as the Senate recognized Bishop Dimitri right. as a saint. Right. Would that mean that the other Orthodox juris jurisdictions, yeah. the, the, the Greeks and, and, and the Serbs and so on, would also recognize him as a saint or is that a different process or how does that So it depends work? on what you mean by recognize. The, for example, in the Greek calendar, you would not find St. Herman of Alaska on the local GOA calendar. 
That doesn't mean that you wouldn't find that they wouldn't have icons of St. Herman, but because St. Herman was canonized by the OCA, they do not have... Just like if you look at the Greek calendar and the Russian, the, our calendar, there'll just be little differences, which actually goes back to the point of saints' veneration is a local phenomenon. Okay. And so a church that raises up that saint or that is reckon, they recognize that saint, that's where that canonization and that's where it happens. That doesn't mean, for example, there's relics of St. Herman of Alaska on Mount Athos and I have a long homilies from Elder Emilianos about St. Herman and they like okay. do devotion to him, but there's not... He doesn't have the same uh, heights or venerations like St. Demetrius uh, does for them. Yeah. Okay, for so example. the OCA venerates St. Herman as a saint. He's not on the Greek calendar, but that doesn't mean that if you were talking to a Greek Orthodox and say, oh, no, 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 he's not really a saint. That no, 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 that doesn't work. That's that. not, now, okay. you'll find icons all over. Raphael is a particularly interesting case in that he's an Arab man who studied in Greece and then became the court, the Arab court representative to the court of St. Petersburg, learned Russian, because he kept lobbying on behalf of the Palestinians to have their own bishops. The Greeks asked him to be shipped as far away as possible, so they sent him to Brooklyn. So he comes to America and becomes the first bishop in America. What? First he went to Central Asia to teach at the seminary in Okay. So, I mean, he got around. Um, so let, probably spoke six languages and whatever. So we can, let's go ahead and end. We're going to end with prayer. And then if anyone has other questions about saints, we can break that ground. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it is not a temptation to deliver us from sin. Thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and through ages of ages. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, everyone.